Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Nearly every Sunday in the summer, Pueblo athletes take to baseball fields all along the northern Rio Grande and parts of western New Mexico. But they're not just working on win-loss records or player stats. They're carrying on a tradition that dates back well over a century. The two Pueblo leagues, made up of more than two dozen teams, are getting ready for the big showdown the first week of July. Today we find out about the long-standing tradition of Pueblo baseball, right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The principal chief of the Cherokee Nation, Chuck Hoskin Jr., celebrated the U.S. Supreme Court's decision Thursday to uphold the Indian Child Welfare Act. It's a wonderful day for Indian country, and it's a wonderful day for anyone in the country that uh, cares about the rights of Native children. The decades-old law is intended to keep Native children with Native families. Some states and individuals were fighting to overturn ICWA, claiming it's unconstitutional. Hoskins says Indian country was on edge, concerned about losing on any number of grounds, including on equal protection. He says it's one of the most important parts of the case, the bedrock principle of Indian law, that tribes are sovereign. The equal protection attack was to uh, suggest that ICWA was really a race-based preference. In addition to that being a potential fatal blow to ICWA, it could have put in doubt a, a large number of statutes and even previous decisions that uh, stand for the proposition that uh, citizens of Indian nations hold a different status, that it's not a racial classification, that the preferences and benefits uh, afforded to uh, tribes and their citizens are really part of respecting tribal sovereignty and, and again, in some measure to achieve some justice for uh, a group of people in this country that, uh, as we all know, have suffered greatly. Hoskins says now that the case is decided, he hopes Indian country can move forward to focus on what's best for children. He says Cherokee Nation will continue to devote resources to child welfare, but also says this case shows Indian country is ready for any future challenge. We also know that, you know, another attack could be around the corner, whether it's in the Congress or whether it's in the courts, we will be ready. And I think the country knows that we're not uh, just going to be pushed over on these cases. Tribes across the country and Native organizations were among those to advocate for the Indian Child Welfare Act. In a statement, the National Congress of American Indians said it's overcome with joy that the Supreme Court has upheld the Indian Child Welfare Act, which is widely regarded as the gold standard of child welfare. The statement went on to say to fully understand the implications of the decision, they're conducting a thorough legal review and will later provide in-depth analysis. And that ICWA is crucial for the safety and well-being of Native children and Native families and the future of Native peoples and tribal nations. NCAI called it a positive impact that will be felt across generations. U.S. Senator Brian Schatz, chairman of the Senate Committee on Indian Affairs, applauded the decision. In a statement, he said the Supreme Court just validated what Indian country and tribal advocates have been saying for generations. The Indian Child Welfare Act is the gold standard of child welfare policy. Eighty-seven members of Congress had advocated for ICWA in the case. A new law aims to silence a controversial siren in western Nevada. It's part of the region's painful legacy of sundown towns. KUNR's Maria Palma reports. In 1921, the town of Minden began sounding an evening siren. 
warning indigenous people it was time to leave the city limits or face violent consequences. For citizens of the Washoe Nation, the sound carries painful memories. Until 1974, anyone who wasn't white had to leave Minden in neighboring Gardnerville at the end of every day. Some Minden residents insist the siren is simply meant as a tribute to first responders. But a new state law says sirens can only be sounded for an emergency and a couple other exceptions. Counties could be fined up to $50,000 for every violation, meaning Minden would have to pay $100,000 per day for the two times the siren now sounds. I'm Maria Palma. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at AARP.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. Baseball season is in full swing in New Mexico's Pueblo communities. The sport has deep roots going back many generations in many of the Pueblos. Some have multiple teams with players who range in ages from 16 to 50 and up. Today on our show, we'll hear from players and coaches about the tradition of baseball and get highlights from the current season. Of course, we want to hear from you too. Have you been to a Northern or Southern Pueblo League baseball game recently? Are you a fan of any of those teams? Is your tribe into baseball? Join our conversation by calling in 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. And you may have heard the U.S. Supreme Court issued a much-anticipated ruling today in a challenge to the Indian Child Welfare Act. We'll hear from law professor Matthew Fletcher about this breaking news later in the hour. Joining us in our Albuquerque studio today is Derek Toledo. He is a shortstop and a pitcher for the Hamas Sun Devils. He's also the former engineer for Native America Calling. He is Amos Pueblo. Derek, welcome back to NEC. How does it feel to be in your old stomping grounds? Hey, thanks. It's a, <laughs> it's like a, it's a wonder just to be back here at many years later eh? in a different capacity. Though I'm like, hey, I'm I'm home, but I'm a I'm a guest today. So it feels <laughs> good to be home. Well, it's good to have you back, Derek. Joining us from Santa Fe Indian School is Nathan Abeta. He is the co-founder of the Northern Pueblo Baseball League. He is okay Wenge. Nathan, great to have you on NAC. Hey, thank you guys very much for having me. And speaking with us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, is Joseph Suina. He is a volunteer coach. He's Coach D. Pueblo. Joseph, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Derek, I'd like to begin with you today, and I know you've been a ball player your whole life. How old were you when you joined the Pueblo Summer Leagues? I was probably around what the league says officially 16, but I was probably around 14, 15. I was on a tailgate 
watching the ball games and there was like short there were short players and I just uh suited up and helped fill the nine on the field. So I was about fourteen, fifteen. Just a youngster. You got the call there from the tailgate, uh the quick uh the call up from the minor leagues there more or less. And well Derek, baseball's a family tradition for you. Both your dad and your brother play? Yeah, the whole family has been basically raised to play baseball. Um we used to follow our our dad around to all the games when I was like a Three-year-old, I remember my mom telling me a story about me sitting in the back of the tailgate, and there's a foul ball coming, and I was sitting in front of a pile of chips. Uh, like They have sandwiches at the games, and so a foul ball, I was too too small to move, and she picked me up, and the ball landed right in the bag of chips where I was sitting. So it's kind of funny. Yeah, I've been following baseball <laughs> my whole life. <laughs> Wonderful story. I love it. And well, tell us a little bit more about, about these summer leagues, Derek, and where are the games played and about how many games per season? The Facebook, the games go literally all summer. So it starts Mother's Day and ends around our ends Labor Day weekend. So I've about so, so there's 16 teams on the South side, South League. So we'll be playing 15 games for sure. We'll, we play each other once, and then the tournament time comes, and we, then it's just an all-out brawl to to get top four, top place. And so yeah, it's just a it's like it's a countless amount of games. If there were more teams, we'd schedule Saturday and Sunday. But right now it's every Sunday leading up until the tournament. So about one game a week, and then how many players on each team, roughly? That varies greatly depending on the, the Pueblo. So last week we played a team that had like 20-plus in the dugout, and and our roster, there's like 20-plus on the roster, but there's just like 10, 11 that's been showing up lately. I'm like, what's going on, guys? So it varies on like the Pueblo and how good they are at recruiting and and like if guys want to join their team and actually show up, so that that varies greatly on like the coaching and the location too. And most of the games are they played there on fields in the pueblos, or do you folks play outside of the villages? Most of the time, they're well. I guess in the north, a lot of the the ball the ball fields are like in very very near the central of the the pueblo, but down south they're kind of like towards the outer edge. I guess Santa Ana has one. Like right in the middle where the rec the rec center is, and across the street is the tribal administration office. In Hamas, they're kind of like a couple miles south of of the village, and Asledas is off a couple miles to the east. So yeah, just basically depends on where you are. Sometimes they're like central, like San Aldefonso. San Aldefonso has like a a ballpark right behind their uh, tribal administrative office, and and there's like houses residential area right, right along the, the home run fence. So, yeah, it just depends on where you're at. And do you have a lot of spectators coming out? How big is the fan base? Depends on how good the team is. <laughs> <laughs> so some teams, some teams also, like, depends on how many players they have. Some teams and some players' families will, like, show up no matter where the location is, and they'll come in full force and park all the way down the sides, park all the way down left field, right field line, and it's, it's especially, like, exciting during competitive games so if like Hamas is playing Hamas and they're like popular teams and the, the whole field will be full of vehicles like left field right field and center field and a lot of times these ballparks are in very hilly areas so people guys with trucks will drive up top of the hill they'll watch from top of the hill too so it just varies on the the game that the matchup that's going to be happening and this is something you guys all do in addition to your full-time jobs I mean how often do you practice, and how much time do you, do you put into the game in addition to the actual time on the field playing? 
well, speaking for our team specifically, we like to practice. We would like to practice once a week, but this year's been just tough to get together because all the guys are, like, busy. I'm busy. I just got back from out of town last week. So um, some other teams maybe, like, once or twice a week, but it's probably typically around once or twice, I would say. But as 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 often as the guys can get together, I'm sure they would, which is would be the same for us too. All righty. Well, let's bring Nathan into the conversation now. He's at Santa Fe Indian School. Nathan, why do you think pace, baseball is so popular among the Pueblos? I think baseball is popular among the Pueblos because uh, we grow up playing it. You know, like Derek alluded to, we uh, we grow up watching, you know, the older older generation play. And uh, I can remember being a bat boy, you know, five, six years old and just like idolizing some of those players, watching them and like, yeah, I want to be the next person. You know what I mean? I want to mm-hmm. be out there and I want to uh, – base my game off of you know so and so you know what i mean there's just (laughs) something that uh like i said we grow up playing and it's something that we're good at and it's just something that runs in the blood it's tradition and i mean the community goes out and supports us and uh, you mentioned that tradition because how far back does the sport go in the pueblo communities like okay wenge cochity hamas it's decades right Oh yeah, I can I can remember generations. You know what I mean? My mm-hmm. father talking about when he was young, when his father was young. You know what I mean? So it goes back. And I mean, some of the greatest stories have been told. You know what I mean? At a baseball game, on the tailgate, watching another game. You know what I mean? Or, you know, did you know uh, you were related to so and so because, you know, he's family, their family, and I mean. Indian country, we're all related, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, you know, going back a few years, I know the late Herman Agoyo, uh, prolific leader there from Okewenge, he was a superstar baseball player back yes. then. I, th- I believe yeah. he was even drafted by a major league team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and there's been multiple, you know what I mean, uh, gentlemen from the communities, surrounding communities from the north and south that have been signed by major league ball clubs, went to farm systems, you know what I mean? And it's just, uh, the opportunities, opportunities are there, and we just need to be able to take advantage of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, what also I find interesting is that in so many communities, at some point, men they transition from playing baseball to playing softball, which is a little slower, you know, a little easier on the knees and such. Why are the pueblos different? Because you guys are out there still throwing the hardball around well into middle age. Yeah, I think, like I said, it's just something that's in the blood and. No matter how old you get, how overweight we are, we're like, mm, I can still do that. You know what I mean? And it's one of those where our, now our kids are playing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I want to play with my son. You know what I mean? So I'm going to go out there and see if I still got it. And, of course, the the mentality is like, yeah, I do. So I'm going to go out there and show these younger guys. You know what I mean? But it's just yeah. something that has uh, lasted throughout the years. Uh, makes people want to go out there and and be with their sons, you know what I mean? Their, their dads, their, their granddads, everything like that. It's just a passion that burns deep. How is baseball played in the, in the Pueblos, Joseph? Are there any tweaks in the rules from what we see on television? There are no rules. (laughs) (laughs) Res ball 101. Oh, the Southern league, I've played, in the Southern League most of my life, but um, we try and follow the rules of the 
that are, are standing current in the in the ML, MLB, but um, uh, a lot of times uh, we go with the flow. You know, we sometimes we have to start with eight players because we have 28 people on the roster and only eight show up. So we have to make good with what we have at the time, and it's a different story every week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Every and there are the games a full nine innings, Joseph, or do you? Shorten them up at they, all? They they are a full nine innings. Uh, we do have a ten run rule after seven innings. Um, so if you're good enough to beat your opponent by more than ten runs in the seventh inning, the game is over. Now I'm curious to know because you know baseball, it, it, the pitching game is just on another. I mean, are you seeing curveballs? Are you seeing changeups? Are you seeing? Are there some guys out there that can bring the heat on the mound? Oh, there's the younger generation can for sure, but um, the the older guys like us, we're 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 limited to throwing you know 40, 50 mile an hour curveballs, knuckleballs, but they work. You know that's that's the way to get those younger guys. It's a uh, it's a clinic every Sunday. You know the older guys, the wise guys, the smart guys have to put on a put on a show. Uh-huh. Yet some of the younger guys think they got it all, but I'm one of those. Older ones that uh, I like to talk my smack, makes them better. <laughs> We're listening to Joseph Swinner right now. He's a volunteer coach from Coach Di Pueblo. We also have Nathan Obeda from OK Wingate and Derek Toledo from Hamas Pueblo, and they are all big time baseball players, baseball enthusiasts, and they're talking about the tradition of baseball in New Mexico's Pueblo communities. Give us a call with a question or comment. One eight hundred nine nine Native. The U.S. Supreme Court overwhelmingly rejected the most recent challenge to the Indian Child Welfare Act. Supporters of the 45-year-old law say they're overjoyed with the ruling. We'll look at the decision in detail and get perspective on what this might mean for the future of ICWA. That's on the next Native America Calling. Hey, hey. Thank Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the tradition of baseball in Pueblo communities. Baseball fans, please join our conversation. Tell us why you love the game or if your tribe has a tradition of baseball excellence. Jim Thorpe, Chief Bender, and more recently Ryan Helsley are just a few Native American big league players. Tell us about some others at 1-800-996-2848. Once again, our number, 1-800-996-2848. One of our guests, Derek Toledo, in our studio today. He's a shortstop and pitcher for the Hamas Sun Devils. And Derek, just listening to you and Nathan and Joseph talk about this legacy of Pueblo baseball, it's just so inspiring. And, you know, traditionally, summer is a busy season in the Pueblos with families working hard in the fields, tending to their crops. Do you think there's any connection between baseball and the traditional Pueblo agrarian lifestyle? That is a very good question. I am. Maybe it's uh, maybe we can connect the summer to working really hard because 
if you get into some of these games, they they last hours just in the heat. So I think that while we work in the fields on alternate days, we spend like hours in the heat. So we're kind of we're kind of built to last in the summer. We'll we'll be out there sunrise, sunset, playing double headers, or we'll be at the field irrigating, working on the crops, making sure all the all the livestock, everything that we have, and take care of on our lands and hold so precious is also flourishing just like hopefully our teams are absolutely nathan how about you do you see any connection between baseball and, and traditional pueblo lifestyle oh for sure i think it uh they go hand in hand you know what i mean they go together we just celebrated our feast uh saint anthony's in uh okay and uh i mean many of the players were dancing you know what i mean and this weekend we're getting ready to uh, to get the fields ready and play again, like Derek said. And of course, it all goes uh, goes together, like he said, the hard work. You know what I mean? Preparing the fields, getting everything ready, kind of like planting the seeds and watching everything grow. Same with a baseball team, very similar. Well, you know, Joseph, or excuse me, Nathan, it kind of to me it, it speaks back to the days when there was a really fine line between professional and amateur sports, and you know like towns and villages, they started like NFL teams and, and bas- baseball teams, and they competed with neighboring communities. And, and what you gentlemen are describing today, it sounds similar, Nathan. Yes, for sure. It is very similar. And I know uh, when we had really good teams in the early 2000s, we would uh, we would go to tournaments all over, you know what I mean? From Colorado to Texas, California, Las Vegas. And those are just, you know, the the icing on the cake basically go see how good you were and show your talents against other teams and other people you know what i mean that enjoy the sport that you love they enjoy it the same exact way you do now nathan you went from being a player to actually forming your own league the northern pueblo league what inspired you to do that yeah so i used to watch my uh my dad he was a coach for a lot of years and uh just you know once the once the arm gives out you're like okay what else can i do to be a part of this you know what i mean i can't throw the ball anymore you know the body's starting to shut down what can i do uh let's give these younger guys a a team to play on let's form something and and try to get everybody inspired you know what i mean yeah yeah i sure do know what you mean that's so i mean and and tell me more nathan about like what relatives used to talk about back Back in the day, you know, even like pre-World War II and things like that, those teams that would travel around. Because I used to hear those stories of of the families who would play and people who played way back, like in the 1930s even. Oh, for sure. You know, like you mentioned, Herman Agoyo, there were just stories of this these people you looked up to, you know what I mean? Whether they're religious leaders or leaders in the community or they went and fought for our freedom, you know what I mean? And now you're actually standing on the field playing next to them or with them, you know what I mean? It was something special when you were growing up as a kid, and I'm sure kids look up to us now, and we inspire the next generation. That's what it's all about, for sure. Mm-hmm. And how about women? Are there any women that play in any of the teams? Uh, right now, oh, I can't think of any. I know in the past there has been a couple, you know, but like you said, there's softball as well. So they're trying to do their own thing in the softball, softball, uh, softball realm. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Let's go back to Joseph Sweena now. He's from Coach Di Pueblo. And Joseph, do you um do you folks travel around at all for for games out of state? Uh, not not with our uh, our men's 
men's league uh, that that we have in the summer in the Southern uh, League. Uh, our team is called the uh, Southern Brewers, by the way. Um, but uh, on the uh, on the side of that, I also have been coaching for many years as a volunteer with a uh, club team called the uh, New Mexico Sun Devils, and uh, we we are a a legitimate club team and travel team. Um, we recently took three teams out to the Arizona Diamondbacks Intertribal Tournament. We did very good. Um, we have a uh, a single A team uh, that we took out this year. Uh, their ages are from nine to uh, twelve, and uh, we're fortunate enough to have uh, two volunteer dads that. Uh, took the lead and were able to coach the team out there because we had two other teams to do. So that was Kurt Chavez and uh, Andrew Quintana and uh, the, the other group. Uh, and, and by the way, they, they, they did very well. They lost in the championship game. Um, the other team we took is a, uh, what they call a double A team and their ages 14 to 15. Uh, we did, uh, we went five and zero in the tournament and won the uh, one or age group. Um, our uh, senior division, the ages 16 to 18. We won our first game, but we lost our second. Our, our, our other two, we didn't make it into bracket play, but uh, myself and uh, my uh, buddy out there, good old John Juanico from Acoma, uh, he's been, 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 we, been with me for a while through this journey. Um, I think we just like to have the... Uh, have something available for the kids that wasn't afforded to us as, as we were growing up. Um, I think having this opportunity that we provide to the kids in, in actually multiple pueblos, in, including the uh, Navajo Nation, uh, we've had kids with us since they were probably, I'd say, eight to ten years old. Um, you know, and to this day, you know, we, we've gotten a couple, several kids up to the college ranks that that been with us the whole time. So um, I, I, I like to say that we're, we're proof that it can be done at our level, at the Na- Native American level. And, uh, and you know, that's something that I hold proud. You know, I, I, I hold that proud and, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. And uh, that, that's what drives me going. That, that, that's what keeps me going. And you should hold that proud, Joseph, because that's, that's kind of the narrative so often, right, is that we have these great Native kids, great athletes, but at some point – they have to transit. They have to kind of transition out of our communities, right? They go to like these, uh, like these, you know, like in basketball, they've got, uh, you know, those leagues. Like they're more competitive. These travel teams, or they go to these cities or these larger high schools. But what you're telling me is you're developing talent all the way up in native communities. These are native teams, native coaches. It's native branded all the way through, and you're looking to get these kids to the top level doing that. Correct. Really cool. Do you remember when you were first introduced to the sport of baseball, Joseph? Oh man, it, 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 I think uh, I share the same story as Derek and uh, and uh, Nathan. There, um, growing up as a kid, you know, you you walk, you don't drive. Sometimes you were lucky enough you had a bike to go to the field and watch them play. Sitting in the back of a old beat up pickup truck, if you have to to and take a blanket. Sometimes someone might take you to another pueblo to go watch them play, but I, I, I probably was about 15 years old, 16 years old playing. Mm. 
Yeah, I can just see, I can visualize you guys now out there in these, some of these fields and, and playing these games and uh, just good times for sure, good times for sure. And Joseph, uh, do you have sons and nephews and um, nieces perhaps and daughters who, who play baseball as well? Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, I'm a strong uh, supporter uh, of, of the sport of baseball. My son uh, went to Santa Fe Indian School with, uh, since he was seventh, in the seventh grade. Um, and unfortunately, like many kids that went there uh, during the COVID time, they lost out on at least two to three years of high school baseball play. So that, that, that it's kind of, you know, depressing to, to know that that happened and, you know, the, the potential that was lost. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy we're all still here. I mean, it, it was a bad time. And, you know, some, some pueblos got hit hard with, uh, with loss of lives. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just glad we're all here. Yeah, I am too, for sure, Joseph. Let's take a caller now. We've got Kathleen listening in Ignacio, Colorado on KSUT. Hello, Kathleen. Hi. Um, I just wanted to do a shout out to all the Hamas teams. Shout out to the Hamas teams. Are you from Hamas? You have roots in Hamas there, Kathleen, even though you're up yes. in uh, southern Ute country now? Yes, my hometown is uh, Hamas Pueblo. Okay. And I just wanted to do a shout out to all the Hamas teams. All right. All right. Well, we've got uh, Derek Toledo here in the studio. And Derek, please feel free to respond to Kathleen, a Wallatoa sister up there in Ignacio, Colorado, who loves your baseball teams. Hey, Kathleen, thanks for that shout out. Uh, we'll try we'll try our best to not let you down. We're going to push hard. And I'm sure the other Hamas teams, they're, they're performing quite well, too. So we'll, we'll do our best not to let you down. Well, sounds like a big fan base you have there, Derek, uh, all the way up in Ignacio, Colorado. Kathleen, do you want to comment again? Yeah, uh, yeah. I just wanted to do a shout-out to all the Hamas teams. Um, I know there's like four teams out there. and All right. Well, uh, yes. Kath... Uh... All right. Thanks, Kathleen. Appreciate it. Good call. Good call coming in from Ignacio, Colorado. And, uh, Derek, when is your next game? Are you folks geared up to play this weekend? A big tournament coming up here? No, no tournament until the end of the season. Well, there's a tournament coming up in Arizona next month that I'm planning on take the team to. But this weekend, we're supposed to play in Laguna against Laguna Bucks. So that should be an interesting game. The only the only uh, screwball in that scheduling is there's three games scheduled in Laguna. So we got to figure out. And they're all scheduled at the same time. And they use the same field. So we got to figure out who's going to play morning, who's going to play afternoon, and who might be moved to the Saturday game. So we'll be traveling to Laguna this weekend. Well, tell us about some of your standout players there on the Hamas Sun Devils this season. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Let's see. So we got this kid that used to play college ball for Texas, uh, Devry Vahill. He, he throws some heat and pretty good catcher, best catcher in the league, I always say. And uh, since I was away last week, he was playing shortstop, and now he's been crushing it. We have this this other guy that uh, usually plays with us. He's from Navajo Nation too, but he he signed with um, a minor league team this summer. So he's I forget the location that he's actually at. I told him to call in today and just uh, share his story of how he came to play in the Pueblo League. And then he's always had this passion for baseball, this love, and he's just like been 
joining our team for the last three, four years and well, outside of COVID, but he's just been driving. And so he's another bright spot, Cameron Phillips. So shout out these two good, these two good guys that have been stars on our team. And then, you know, our rest of our guys are pretty good. Um, but yeah, those two, I think, stand out. Well, Derek, you mentioned throwing the heat there. What are we talking about in terms of throwing the heat? Are we talking like 75, 80, 85? What's the fastball look like there? For me on the bad day, it's 75. Now I'm just kidding. <laughs> but now some of these other cats that are like, I know Devery hits, I'm pretty sure Devery hits 90s, 80s, 90s wow. uh, consistently. And some, some other guys from some other teams throw some heat too. I know they played some college ball and played some minor league ball, some uh, a guy, a couple of guys, a little family from Hamas, and they all played college ball and they all throw 90s and they're, pretty well known in the baseball realm like the the Romero's John Gorman and and um Jaron they all throw some heat they can still bring it to I know Jaron still can I haven't seen John play in a while but yeah some some of the guys play some heat and there's another guy that uh from San Felipe um Q I forgot his first name Callan Quintana he played minor league ball played college ball he can he used to throw some mad heat too that one game he pitched against us like one game and had like 17 Ks, which I'm not too proud to admit. But he <laughs> he tore us up. He was on he was on his game that day. He was throwing like 90s, and his curveball was like 70s. It was it was out of control. It was annoying. We yeah. lost we lost to them two one, which is which three one two one, which wasn't too bad, but it's still that kind of heat, kind of that serious heat. Yeah, it's not used to, you're not used to seeing it on a consistent basis because not everyone can has that gift, but some of these guys can really bring it. I want to ask Nathan now up in Okiawenge, because Nathan, I'm sitting here, you know, I'm in my 50s, and I'm old enough to play in this league, but I'll tell you what, if I got in the box and I see some guy throwing 90 at me, I don't know if I would be able to, I don't know what I would do. That's a that's a lot of heat coming down coming down from, from pitcher's mound. What's that like, Nathan? Oh, it's, it's, it's scary when you haven't seen it in a while, for sure. And uh, it's very rare, though, honestly. It's going to be rare you see somebody throwing 90. So now that you're older, you're looking for the curveball. <laughs> yeah. Who's got a good curve in the, in your league? Oh, there's a couple of them. You know, you perfect. It reminds me of uh, the movie Major League where you put everything on the ball and it curves even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I was thinking about that too because there was that, when he tells that young guy like, hey, you know, one day you're going to be doing it too, right? You'll be in this same boat when you reach a certain age. It kind of makes me think of that. What about the the catchers? Because you know, to, to to catch in a league like that, you got to have some skills too. Oh yeah, you can tell. I mean, you can tell who's been catching for years because you'll see them walking, and you're like, "Yep, that guy's a catcher." You can tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, catchers, I mean, they're few and far. You know what I mean? In between, and they do the hardest job, if you ask me, on a baseball field. So those are the guys that get the biggest props for sure, especially in. 80, 90 uh, degree heat on a Pueblo summer day. That, that's tough for sure. Yeah. And with the with the wind sometimes can kick in mm-hmm. and the dust, that just makes it even exactly. more challenging. Yeah. For sure. I want to go back to Joseph. And, and Joseph, you know, one thing that, that's, you know, kind of disappointing in some ways is that nationally baseball is just losing its influence, right? People say, is it still the national pastime? And people are so much like more into football and basketball now. But in the Pueblos, obviously, it's continuing to thrive. Why is that when nationally baseball is losing its significance? Oh, you know, that, that's a tough 
tough questions to even answer. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why, but I, I think it's just probably for the fact that, you know, baseball's been around the Pueblos for so long. It, it, it's been successful uh, in its own state. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's something that the kids look forward to as they're growing up to play. I know we all did. So being able to play is, is, is an accomplishment and, a, and, and, and an honor. Uh, I, I think for me, uh, being able to play with my own son is, is the greatest feeling of all. For sure, for sure. We're going to have to take another break here, folks, but anybody else who has a question or a comment about baseball or specifically some of the Pueblo Summer Leagues that are currently playing games right now, 1-800-996-2848. That's our number to call. Challenges to societal harmony abound. Trauma, depression, addiction. In Native communities, these challenges affect nearly everyone. The Native American Social Work Studies Institute educates social workers for careers to address the needs of Native communities. You can be part of the solution as a peer support worker, community health worker, or a counselor with culturally relevant training from the Native American Social Work Studies Institute. Info at online.nmhu.edu. New Mexico Highlands University supports this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. We're talking about Pueblo baseball today, a significant legacy for summer athletes. And a reminder, in a few minutes, we'll have law professor Matthew Fletcher on to give us his initial perspective on the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision to leave ICWA intact. Our guests today to talk baseball are Derek Toledo, Nathan Abeta, and Joseph Sweena. Derek, I want to ask you about this upcoming All-Star Game. When is it going to take place, and uh, what are you most excited about with it? Those games are always crazy exciting. The atmosphere, the crowd, the fans, it gets really live, really live and loud. So the date usually is on July 4th, and we have to have a meeting ahead of time to make sure that all the details, our logistics are taken care of. So I'm not necessarily sure where it's going to be at this year. And every year we alternate north and south, alternates hosting the game. So this year, it's been uh, since it's, since we haven't played because of COVID for the last three years, we've got to figure out where it's going to be too. So we'll probably know like two weeks or a week in advance. And then every team gets to send their best players. And then with them, their family comes to watch. So it's just like the best of the best from all the Pueblos. And it's going to be really intense and really fun. Just come check it out. And Nathan, uh, how are players selected for the All-Star Game? Um, I know in the North League, we used to do uh, basically kind of nominating, voting. So we have a coaches meeting, uh, like Derek said, and we'll basically uh, put up our two or three best players and kind of fill them by position. I know uh, usually the top two or three teams get uh, three players, and then the maybe fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth place teams will get one or two. That's kind of how we did it in the past. And Nathan, you know, like a really good batting average in the major leagues is, you know, 300 and up, something like that. What's a really good batting average in, in your league? Yeah, I believe anything above 300 is really good. So um, that's at least going, you know, two for four each game. And that anything above 300 is a really good batting average. And running a league, I mean, how much time does that take? Is it a big commitment in addition to your, uh, to your job? It is. It's crazy because you're working your regular job, you know, Monday through Friday, and then you have to prepare for the week, and 
and it just takes a lot to make sure you're scheduling everybody. You don't have those mishaps where you have, well, you know, three teams playing at one field. And that's one of the biggest obstacles that we face is finding facilities, you know what I mean, to host games and mm-hmm. fields. I mean, they're just, with the pandemic, like everybody uh, has talked about, oh, some of the tribes just let their fields go. So now there's just uh, weeds and stickers, you know what I mean? And it <laughs> takes a lot. Sometimes you're out there cutting weeds, dragging fields. and On a dirt field, it takes about two hours to line and almost two to three bags of line to do that. But we've been, uh, we just started hosting here at the Santa Fe Indian School uh, three games a day. So we have a 9, 12, and a 3 p.m. And that seems to be helping out. And uh, it's an alter field here at the Indian School. So makes life a little bit easier. And Nathan, what about umpires? Is it hard to get umpires out there to, to call the games? Oh, yeah. That's one of the hardest things. And that's probably why I got out of the the whole deal with coaching. Just It's so expensive. You know what I mean? From buying equipment to the line to fueling your own vehicle to drag the field, now you're paying umpires. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard to find them. And, I mean, there's so many things going on. Like you said, summertime's short. People want to go camping. They want to fish. I mean, they have things going on in their lives where they just can't be there. So, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because uh, this past regular season during high school, I mean, Joe had to ump so many games for us. It was ridiculous because it's so hard to find officials nowadays. And it's it, it it's our fault too, you know what I mean, for fans being so so hard on them. Nobody wants to do the job, and it's not worth the money. You know what I mean? Well, let's ask Joseph to chime in on that. Do you feel that way ever, Joseph, that umpiring just isn't worth it with all the hassles and, and getting uh, getting called out by the fans and everything? Well, that that happens on a uh, every at every game, um, and you know it, it, it's it's not just the fans. It's it's some of the coaches that are are really bad too, but they. Um, <clears throat> I would love for some of the coaches to be umpires as well because then they'll have a better perspective of how, it, how to manage the game as a as a as an official. That um, you know, it, it you you have to make some tough, quick decisions, mm-hmm. and not every decision is going to be favorable. Uh, you know, that's just the name of the game. That's baseball, and and uh, sometimes you like and sometimes you don't, and uh, some of them are quick to. Bark up your, you know, bark at you and start calling you all kinds of stuff. Uh, but I'm pretty good. I, 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 I know how to uh, set them straight and, and uh, you know, if I need to make some changes uh, to uh, have them removed from the game, then, then I will. And back to Derek. Derek, somebody listening to our show today, maybe somebody in one of the Pueblos interested in joining one of these teams, interested in learning more about these leagues. What's the best way to do that? I'd say find your find your local go to one of your local games, hit up the coach. I know they probably have some of your cousins or your friends on the team. Just uh, say, hey man, I'm the, I've been, I've been playing my whole life. I just haven't played with the Pueblo leagues yet. How can I get on? Just basically ask, show up. And Nathan, is there a way for our listeners to follow uh, the Northern Pueblo League? Do you have a website, Facebook, anything like that? Uh, right now we do not, but that's in the future talks for sure. We're gonna get out there and put everything on social media right now would be the easiest thing just come out to a to a game and support all right 
And Joseph, back to you. What about somebody older, uh, somebody my age who's interested in going out there and has maybe played in many, many years? What's your advice? <laughs> Just come on out. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, some of the, some of the rules are that uh, there there are deadlines for submitting your uh, your roster. So, like, if someone someone were to come out Sunday, say, "Oh, I want to play," uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, you have to tell them, you know. Next year, you can do it, but uh, and, and, and there's a reason for that. But um, you know, best thing I would recommend is just come out to the games on Sunday. Just about every club is having a baseball game. All right, look around, talk to people, get involved. Well, Derek, Nathan, and Joseph, I want to thank all three of you for joining us today to talk a little bit of baseball. And also, I just want to thank you for for keeping this proud legacy of Pueblo baseball alive in our community. So thank you again for joining us here on Native America Calling. And uh, at this point, we are going to make a quick, quick pivot here, and we're going to take a few moments to recognize this major Supreme Court ruling that was issued today. The high court rejected a constitutional challenge to the Indian Child Welfare Act. The decision is seen as a major victory for tribes and tribal sovereignty, one in a series of court decisions affirming ICWA over its 45 years in existence. The National Congress of American Indians issued a statement saying the organization is overjoyed with today's ruling and that the positive impact of today's decision will be felt across generations. We're joined now by Matthew Fletcher. He's a law professor at Michigan State University's College of Law and the author of the Turtle Talk blog. He's from the Grand Traverse Band of Ottawa and Chippewa Indians. Matthew, thanks for taking time to joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I really enjoyed the program on baseball. It reminds me of the year that I led the league in being hit by pitch in a Northern California hardball league not so long ago. Right, right. Okay. Well, I hope you didn't have too big a bruise from that one. Well, well, speaking of hardballs and, and fastballs and, and fast-paced stuff, I mean, wow, what, what breaking news today. And uh, what's your initial reaction to the headline with regard to the, the high court's decision? Oh, it absolutely blew my mind. I was so fully expecting uh, a terrible loss and telling people that the only, the best possible scenario is only parts of the Indian Child Welfare Act get struck down today. And uh, they roundly affirmed the whole thing, seven to two. It was amazing. And the Supreme Court, you know, as concerned as, as so many of us are in Indian country, they, they just seem to be, they seem to come through for us in the 11th hour more and more, don't they? <laughs> you know, since um, 2014, tribes have won 11 out of 16 cases, which is unprecedented in the entire history of the United States. So it's been a good run. We got McGirt a couple of years ago. Um, there have been some tough losses in there, but... Um, you know, all we ask the Supreme Court to do every single time is just affirm the law that they themselves wrote over the centuries. And um, almost every time tribes lose, it's because they change something. It's kind of like the Matrix when you see a black cat go by and you're like, uh-oh, something bad is going to happen. Mm, the Matrix, I love that analogy. Well, okay, so obviously this is a huge blow against these ICWA opponents, but, I mean, you know, the concern is, are they going to appeal? Are they going to come back at the state level? So, I mean, going forward, are, are, are we clear? Are we good to go? No more worries? Or what do we need to be concerning ourselves with now, looking ahead? Well, you know, the, the court did not reach the question of whether um, an Indian Affairs statute can violate the Equal Protection Clause of the Fourth, uh, the 14th Amendment and also the Fifth Amendment. So, 
Um, we're still going to be uh, inundated probably with challenges that, you know, Indian Affairs statutes like ICWA are discriminatory against non-Indians. But um, I think it's going to be really hard for um, anybody to really challenge ICWA on that ground because it's so difficult to get a case to the Supreme Court. Um, these cases that went to the Supreme Court today have been concluded for sometimes years, and um, these cases go by fast, so it's hard to get a case to the Supreme Court. That said, there are still going to be challenges on the equal protection front. We're going to be ready for it. Expect criminal defendants to make those challenges. There's a, pe a pending challenge to the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act in Washington right now. Um, these are all equal protection challenges. Um, I, I feel fairly confident that uh, you know, Indian country is going to prevail in most or all of these cases, but uh, it, there definitely is room for the other side to, to move forward. Now, the Goldwater Institute, Matthew, they're the prominent organization that's really been going after ICWA, and they're talking about future state challenges. Do you think they're going to get any traction there at the state level? Um, I don't know. I mean, states are the ones actually leading the charge in some respects to defend the Indian Child Welfare Act. I mean, you have... 15, at least 15 states have actually adopted it. So they're going to have to find a state where you have a judiciary that is willing to ignore the law. You're going to have to find a state where the state legislature hasn't already adopted ICWA. Um, it's going to be hard for them to really do much, but, uh, you know, they have basically infinite resources, and we fully expect to hear from them again in the future. And what about some of these families that, that are, have been in limbo now? for these, you know, all this time now that this issue has been put before the Supreme Court, this challenge. Um, have you heard from any of those folks or any, any children that are directly impacted, parents, others, relatives? What are they thinking? Well, first of all, it's hard to, to know what families are thinking. A lot of times these cases are sealed, so we don't really aren't supposed to know that much about them. But the second thing is that these cases and the, the Brackeen litigation have been concluded. So all the adoptions are done. And uh, that's one of the reasons the Supreme Court declined to talk about equal protection in any meaningfully, any meaningful way today, because there are no pending cases. So, um, but I, I, you know, the, you know, the sad thing is three of the four children that were in, that were sort of affected by this case um, have already been adopted by non-Indians. But the family in Minnesota, the White Earth Nation family, um, where the grand, the native grandma adopted uh, a child, they're they're safe, and uh, now they're there's nothing to be done about going after the to undo that adoption. So at least um, we can say one family is safe today, at least. Mm -hmm. well, that's good news. And the supporters of ICWA, who they've been so worried, everybody has just been on pins and needles waiting for this decision. And what was it that they were? I mean. What did you think was going to happen, Matthew? What, what was what was kind of the worst case ruling that folks were prepared to have to accept today? The worst case ruling would have been a ruling on the equal protection grounds. Um, if they had said that any aspect of the Indian Child Welfare Act was discriminatory against non-Indians um, and applied their notion of what is called strict scrutiny to that statute, um, that me that would have meant that um, two things. One is other areas of Indian law could be subject to the same kinds of challenges, and we expect them to be made anyway, but at least there's no holding that somehow Indian affairs laws violate equal protection. But more importantly, um, you know, the, uh, if you had an equal protection holding today that was negative, 
then Congress and state legislatures wouldn't be able to go back and fix it. So the other provisions, the other challenges to the Indian Child Welfare Act could have been fixed through legislative um, enactments. And we felt fairly strongly that uh, there was a pretty good chance Congress and state legislatures, which are already adopting ICWA, would have been supportive of that, uh, of a proposal like that. But it wouldn't have been the case if the court struck down portions of the act under equal protection. Nothing would have been able to save uh, the statute then. So that that would have been a worst case scenario. And you know the court didn't even reach that question. So we're you know we're going to come away with a big win and look to the future. And for ICWA supporters going forward, I mean, is there any new issues there that, that they're going to have to press for with regard to ICWA? Or do you think they can just kind of take a step back and relax? Uh, what's the game plan? Well, um, there's still a lot of work to be done in various states to get ICWA codified. I think that's a project that is just getting in on its feet. Um, it's been very successful, and there are some states that are waiting, like Utah, to see what the case was going to, what the outcome was going to be before they made a decision on whether to codify um, ICWA, and so it's time to move forward on those things. Um, there's always work to be done on ICWA. Now that we have uh, a solid constitutional basis for the statute, it's time to get states to really start complying with ICWA. Even the states that have codified it um, don't always comply with it. You know, it's, uh, it's really hard. So there's more work to be done to get lawyers for Indian families, Indian children. Um, there's not a lot of resources to uh, represent tribal citizens in ICWA cases in state court, and so more and more resources are needed, and there's still more to be done. Well, Matthew, I want to thank you again for joining us on such short notice. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, thank you, and I hope you're able to come back in the future and talk a little bit more about this uh, groundbreaking decision. Folks, we have reached the end of our hour, and I'm going to thank our guests again. We have Derek Toledo, Nathan Obeta, Joseph Sweena, and Matthew Fletcher. We talked a little bit of Pueblo baseball and the law. How's that for a doubleheader? Join us on Native America Calling again tomorrow. We'll hear from more Native legal experts on the ICWA decision. This Father's Day, you can give your dad a truly unique gift from SweetGrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at aecf.org. Support by Amerind, Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Amerind works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.